Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that gives you an up-close and personal look at the world of cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to No Password Required, a podcast dedicated to exploring the minds and personalities that make up the field of cybersecurity. I'm your host, Ernie Ferraresso, and with me as always is Jack Clabby. We also have Pablo Torres coming up to have some fun with his segment, Positively Cyber. But first, we need to discuss who we have on the show. On the podcast today, we're going to chat with Melinda Lemke, the head of information security at King and Spalding Law Firm. For the first time in her professional career, she says she feels like a big fish in a little pond. We'll, we'll talk about fishing a little bit later on. Um, in her spare time, Melinda travels and serves as a mentor for young professionals, whom she advises to never wait for an opportunity to create them. Well, speaking of uh, talking to a world traveler, Jack, how are you, sir? Ernie, I'm, I'm doing great. In fact, I've been thinking a lot about traveling lately because I'm not doing any of it. Uh, and I've been checking my various hotel point accounts. And going back and visiting my hotel point accounts, I realized that you know, they are really just username and password authentication. And I've been putting in you know, the various iterations of passwords that I've used over the years. And luckily, I have pretty good security. So I do not, I have not been reusing passwords, although the temptation was great. So I've been creating a lot of new passwords, thinking a lot about password management. And, uh, you know, passwords have been in the news a bit. There's been some some sort of lighthearted takes on it as we all start, you know, year-end planning and thinking about rolling into 2021 and updating our passwords in our personal lives. You know, but there's been a fair amount of credential stuffing hacks in the news. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, many of our listeners are probably dealing with this to protect their own organizations, really. But, you know, credential stuffing is, you know, bad guys getting a hold of a list of compromised or otherwise visible username and password pairs. And then, you know, pointing them and uh, trying to attack them in a somewhat brute force manner. Uh, and it, it only really works because people reuse passwords among multiple sites. So, you know, this is a conversation that I think, you know, those who are in charge of security need to be having with their own password management for their, for their employees, but also with their customers, right? You know, if you have a, a website that faces the public, you know, what are your password management policies? What are you doing to kind of look out for uh, credential management in your personal life. Do you share your passwords with, you know, people in your family, right? If something were to happen to you, would other people know how to get into your devices? How do you handle that? Well, you know, that's interesting. That that brings up an excellent uh, scenario. And I, I think it, it also, it which plays well, uh, you know, certainly with some of the demographic in Florida, uh, you know, not to take it down to a real somber note, uh, but, you know, a couple of years ago, my, my father passed away. And, you know, he had several different, you know, whether bank accounts, even social media accounts. And my mother just asked me the other day, uh, how do I get access to your father's accounts when I don't have his, I don't know, I may know his user, but I don't know his password and I can't change it. In the, so uh, interesting thing to think about is, is how are you going to do that when you talk about managing passwords? And I mean, that goes into, you know, you do you share your passwords? And what are the other, you know, ups and downs? I've been married for a while now. I'm not going to say how long because that could be a challenge, a knowledge-based authentication. Uh, He's always, a working, to me. always working, that guy. Uh, so the, 
you know, but but it's part of now legacy planning, right? If you go to to prepare a will or prepare a trust document, you know, the lawyer that you're sitting with may ask you that question. You know, are you going to have a social media directive, and are you going to list your passwords somewhere and keep them safe in a safe or something like that? Um, you know, I share my passwords with a handful of people um, for personal social media for that purposes, but they don't know it right now, right? It's in a way that will go to them if something were to happen to me. Um, you know, and there are a couple of strategies for that, but keep in mind for end-of-life planning is absolutely having a legacy and devisement for that. Um, same thing true for kids, right? If you're in a house with a bunch of kids, you know, what is the policy going to be? If you get them the phone, do they share the password with you? And a lot of parents I know struggle with that, but you know, speaking of school, you know, sort of kids, right? There's been a lot going on in schools these days too. And, you know, I've done a lot of work over the years in terms of ransomware and breaches that have impacted schools. And so I, I live a lot with this, but the Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah. You, you read about this, yeah. I think. So Huntsville, Alabama yeah. is obviously, it's Rocket City, USA, right? Yeah. So you have a sense that they have a heightened level of appreciation for things that are technological and, and, and science-oriented. And so there was a threat, uh, a cyber threat against the system. And I think not a lot of detail has been released about what it was. But in a digital environment or even an in-person environment that's highly connected, if there is a risk to student data, they pulled the, the big red plug and shut it down. Um, you know, I've been involved in a number of data breaches and uh, incidents short of data breaches in public schools, and I wish they had had a, a plug like that to pull. So I think, you know, so kudos, we don't know all the details, but kudos to Huntsville for doing it uh, and for having the sort of communication abilities to shut it down, to warn people not to log in. Um, it looks as if they were managing that well. Like they got some flack, but really, they should be getting... They should be getting the, yeah. Yeah, the praises. Because, I mean, if you look at it, there's been a couple uh, in recent school areas, school districts, um, that, you, that are in the news. You know, here in Florida, it was earlier this year, beautiful Miami-Dade County, everybody going online. Um, and they, they, they nailed a kid, decided uh, he was going to, you know, DDoS the school. So you had that. And then uh, just recently, uh, in the news today... Uh, I guess it was, uh, I think it was up in Maryland, school district, ransomware, they ended up paying. Um, you know, and I think that it's, and we talked about this last time, was, you know, paying of the ransomware and, and such and moving forward. Uh, but a lot of it, you know, I think Huntsville is an example of taking, being proactive uh, ahead of the thing. But the folks up in Baltimore, I mean, what do you do, right? Here they're getting all this heat. You know, I've got to keep these kids in school. I've got to keep moving through it. So what do you do? Uh, you know, that's... That's where you get into that, uh, what we were talking about is, is, you know, what's the cost benefit? How do you want to play it? A lot of those remote learning, you know, it, it ties back to what we were talking about for passwords too, is a lot of those remote learning um, systems are set up with passwords that are easy for kids to remember, right? Or with passwords that are based on, you know, the kid's first name and then a number, uh, kid's first name in the school year. And look, is it, or is it a rich environment for a hack? Right, if you get into someone's Google Classroom, there's really not a ton you can do except do his homework. Um, and so you don't need the sort of sophisticated username and password and, and uh, knowledge-based authentication that, that we probably use for more sophisticated companies. But it's still an issue. Um, when, when Learn From Home first started, the questions that were coming in uh, to the lawyers here were about, you know, do I have enough of a, a license to use this product? And if I have a license to use the product, am I setting it up so it respects the children's privacy in a general sense? It wasn't about preparing for hacks, mm. right? Because I think the, the hack risk is relatively low level. Um, that said, the ransomware is still a big bucket of it because a lot of these uh, still a big bucket of risk because 
these schools are insured largely, right? Have the ability to pay ransomware. They probably don't have sophisticated backups. Um, but I tell you, I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing what happened in Huntsville because they clearly had an incident response plan. They appear to have had a good immediate communication strategy. They knew what to do and how to do it. Uh, just the idea of getting a school district to make a public statement on something means something's going right on the organizational yeah. side of it. Um, that's for sure. Uh, but in terms of revisiting, you know, passwords for schools like that, there's no good solution for young children's passwords. I mean, I will not reveal what it was my son, who's nine, said to me the other day, but it was a um, his idea for what would be an easy password, but what would be easy for him to remember, which is very different from what's an effective password when you're using it in a password login scenario. Well, and if we want to go down the easy-to-remember route, um, I believe it was uh, NIST came out with some new guidance on passwords and using a passphrase. So you can maybe talk to your son about his favorite, uh, I don't know, do the kids listen to watch Scooby-Doo anymore or, or what, uh, you know, pick a Scooby-Doo line, uh, you know, hey, Shaggy, where's the Scooby snack, um, you know, and that could be his password. I think we'll have to talk to Pablo Torres about this one, but, you know, calling back to an earlier segment we did, uh, I think I am Groot was for a while. That could be. A very popular <laughs> password for students of an elementary age. So you got to think it'd be a little more clever and personalize it uh, to your, to yourself. But it's you know I, I think this idea of whatever your password is going to be just a reminder to folks you know who are in the position of advising others you know use different passwords and if you have the ability to tell the customers who work with your company you know get the word out to them too that they should not use a password for your site that they use for other sites if there's anything that they can do that could be destructive once they log into your site, right? Basic stuff. Yeah. But it's forgotten a fair amount. Um, and, you know, with some of the sophistication and automation of the attacks that are out there, um, you know, worth reminding folks of. Yeah. It's, it, I, I, I don't think you can say that enough is, the ba you know, brilliance in the basics. You know, use different passwords. You don't use the same one twice. Use different passwords. Don't use the same one twice. I'll say it again. <laughs> use different passwords. That said, we're going to take a short break. When we return, Melinda is going to talk to us about her unique journey into cybersecurity leadership, and we're going to have a good discussion about the timeless value of a John Hughes movie. Did weird science inspire her career choice? Spoiler alert, it did not. But maybe Ferris Bueller did. Stick around. we got a great show coming up. Have an idea for a guest or topic? Send an email to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. All right, welcome back. Our guest is Melinda Lemke, Head of Information Security at King & Spalding, a law firm with 1,200 lawyers in 22 offices globally. Melinda, welcome to No Password Required. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here. Well, we're uh, glad to have you on, on the podcast today. Melinda, we know a little bit about you. you maybe you could just, just walk us through for our listeners sort of what you do um, and how you got there. Sure, happy to. I started out my career in, in IT. I probably shouldn't admit this, but I sort of fell into, uh, into IT after college um, and just quickly fell in love with it and spent 20 years at PwC in a number of IT leadership roles. Um, a lot of my uh, career paths were careers that were born out of necessity. Um, so I would happen to be well, now I'm dating myself, but during the dot-com era, for example, when we decided to insource web hosting, I said, I'll do that. Let's talk about it. Let's 
so I often volunteered for uh, opportunities throughout my career, which led me down a pretty interesting path. Um, I, I segued into cyber about five years ago at PwC overseeing the largest uh, rollout of CyberArk in the world for privileged access management. I ran the PMO at another uh, Fortune 50 company and then found my way um, into King and Spalding. So again, first time I've been a, uh, a big fish in a small pond, but I'm loving it. So in the past, you've spoken a little bit about mentoring and the passion you have for mentoring that next generation of cyber professionals. You know, where, where does that come from for you? That absolutely comes from the fact that I've had phenomenal mentors and including the fact um, I'm working again for uh, one, of, one of my mentors that I've known for over 20 years. So um, never burn a bridge, folks. Never burn a bridge. <laughs> you never know who you might end up working with or for. So, and that's happened to me a number of times throughout my career. So um, because of the great mentorship I've had throughout my career and, and uh, people unselfishly taking me under their wing, it's, it's something that I've aspired to do based on a pay-it-forward kind of a basis. What's the best bit of guidance you've, you've received from them? I, I think it's sharing their experience and also asking thoughtful questions to help guide toward career paths. So, for example... I was at a pivotal point in my career, and my mentor, who again is my boss today, simply said, well, do you like the business side or do you prefer the operations side of IT? And I went, wow, that's a really thought-provoking question. Simple question, right? So I said, well, clearly I prefer business over operations, and that took me down a different path where I went more to the business side on into marketing and sales and how IT enables the business. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge pivot in my career from IT service management and operations more into IT enablement and relationship management. How is it too for, for mentorship, right? There's that question of, you know, I would like to say that I'm mentoring people. And I would like to say that I have mentors, but I would bet if you ask my, men my mentors, quote unquote, they might not agree that they're mentoring me. <laughs> do, you do you think that there should be sort of a formal, like with your mentors, have you said, hey, did it just happen naturally or was there more of a formal? Sort of, sort of both. So I, you know, I, I'm going to refer to my favorite mentee who I'm looking at right now, Mr. Pablo Torres. Thank you for uh, bringing me onto the show. So I had the opportunity to meet Pablo and we instantly had a connection and, but he went out of his way to say, I want to learn more from you. Can we please have coffee? And so he bridged that gap without like coming up and being like, hey, lady, you want to be my mentor? <laughs> or me going, you look like a nice fellow and graduated top of your class. Would you like me to mentor you? I think it has to be a bit more organic than that. But um, it was a, a bit of both whereby it was a concerted effort on both parts to say, I want to share some of my knowledge with you and, and his wanting to be the recipient of that. And, and I'll be the first to tell you that I'm getting as much, if not more, out of it as he is. And I, I frequently joke with him that I'll be working for him someday. So and I have no doubt about that. We all work for Pablo right, right now. Don't, don't let anybody fool you. Don't let anybody kid you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that you mentioned the relationship there between you know, mentor, mentee, uh, up and down. And I, I think one thing that is of crucially important, certainly in cybersecurity, is this building this community. Uh, you know, it, 
whether you want to call it networking or you know groups of community of interest, whatever, but building this relationships between professionals uh, is so critical in this field, um, especially, uh, and you know, we'll talk with Pablo a little bit about it uh, later on uh, down, is it's, it helps to bring other people into the field um, because I think oftentimes cyber is viewed as this, you know, stuff that happens in the black box behind the curtain that, you know, only real uber geeks and hooded people can get in. Um, but having, you know, people like yourself take the time to, you know, to talk to some of the, you know, new newcomers into the field, um, and, and and like you say, pay it forward, right? Because I know one thing that it, that it, that I know is that while you're helping Pablo, Pablo spends his time reaching out to others that are just getting into the field as well. So it's it's this cascading effect I think is uh, absolutely it's phenomenal, it's critical, and it's amazing. Uh, yeah. To see all that happen. You mentioned I had an IT background and then switched into cyber. I think there's probably a lot of folks with an IT profile who are thinking about where their careers are and they're thinking about trying to make the move into cyber. Do you have any advice for them, sort of guidance on how they could get up to speed on cyber or test the waters? Or Yeah, absolutely. I just, um, certifications are, are great. And while some of them require a certain amount of, of experience within the field itself, um, you know, you can certainly seek certifications there is just so much information out there, seeking mentors, um, taking classes. Just learn as much as you can because it is, it is a, uh, a logical pivot. I wouldn't say it's necessarily an easy pivot, but if you have the foundational knowledge, that's more than half the battle, and then the rest is coming up to speed. Just the, I think about the challenges as a lawyer, the challenges that you must have at King and Spalding, which is which is really so large and is not just U.S. based, but has offices out of the country. You know, how does the complexity increase when you have you go from sort of a U.S. based entity to an international, a global entity in terms of privilege privilege access management hiring? How does that is is it a, is it a multiple factor? Like, how do you see the global aspects of what King and Spalding does? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to. Um operate by the 80-20 rule in, in that case. So you have to, you know, it's similar in, in the privacy space, of course, but you have to come up with baseline rules, standards, policies, make sure that those apply at a global level. And then as regional needs dictate, then you customize those policies and whatnot. Um, so that's really the approach that I attempt to take. And also, we I dealt with that you know, attempting to roll CyberArk out to 165 countries. So <laughs> there's a lot of lot of considerations as you go through projects like that. But I think as long as you uh, can try not to, you know, not to uh, customize the solution for the exception, then you know you're you're more than halfway there. How did this is curiosity only? Don't answer this if it's too far. Okay. But did the lawyers at King and Spalding like? You know, the, who know about cyber and privacy? Like, do they bother you? Like, do they try to interfere with your role, or like, can you use them when you want to? Like, they, they, give you they are my. Uh, I I actually get starstruck okay. around some of our privacy and, and cyber attorneys. They've, um, you know, they've been the lead chair on some of the largest breaches in the world, and so I I often look at them looking for what can they teach me if in their in their time but um yeah they're they're quite accessible and um so we have a nice a nice relationship and 
works well. Well, I, another question because it's again, it's fascinating. Like, so if client audits, do you have any tips for those who listen to this? Who, who you know, who not just law firms, but who are providing you know, information security to, to any kind of a B two B company that might have audits from their customers or suppliers. So how do you approach that in a general sense? Yeah, client audits are always tricky, right? I, you know, my team spends a lot of time reviewing client guidelines and requirements and things like that. I think as with many things, um, not just cyber and audit related, but a conversation, right, is, is often helpful to make sure both sides understand because we're responding to one right now where they just want yes, we meet, we meet the requirement and period. And it's <laughs> sometimes there's a yes, but, yes, or a yes, and um, type of a scenario. And so those situations tend to be best addressed through conversation and a meeting of the minds to say, we have, we do have adequate con security controls. However, it may not be this exact, you know, line that you've got written down there. So, um, so those often can be a negotiation, a conversation, and it's as I, as with I approach everything. It's it's best to forge a relationship with your auditor and you know and make sure you're working together with them, not just oh geez, it's an auditor. I I, I better be careful what I say. And yeah. no, <laughs> so. That's a good point. No, I, I think that's you know you mentioned building the relationships. I think that's one of the things that uh, a critical you know trait. That uh, folks in certainly in, in 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 cyber and to a certain degree in IT tend to shy away from. So uh, you know is is being having that building that relationship building and being able to communicate with people. What are some of the other you know I would call intangible traits that you think are are important for for cyber pros to have uh, in addition to their technical chops? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you hit on that because I. As, as you pointed out multiple times and repeated yourself, relationship management is so key um, in IT and being able to speak the language of the business in IT. I've built my entire career on it and because they don't often speak the same language. So I think that is, is very important as a differentiator, particularly if uh, you have leadership aspirations. So I think that's a big one. But as I said, again, don't don't wait for somebody to come and tap you. Make your own opportunities. Be on the lookout and say, gee, I see a problem over there. Can I take that on? And you're going to open so many doors for yourself. Um, so just don't ever wait to be tapped. Raise your hand if somebody says, hey, you, do you want to take this on? If Again, that's how I fell into the business of web hosting and service management. Somebody said, does somebody want to take on this technical documentation writing project? And I said, I do. I'll, I'll do it. I want to go to Tampa. You know, and uh, here I am 20 years later. So raise your hand. Don't, don't wait to be asked for opportunities. So, Melinda, you've had a lot of different roles over the year. You've seen a lot in IT and security. Uh, you know, what advice do you have to our women listeners in particular who are thinking about a career in cybersecurity leadership? Absolutely. I, I appreciate that question. I'm so glad that we're finally making strides in that. I, I was looking at it today because five years ago when I entered officially the world of cyber, um, I think it was about 12% of women in cyber. We're now at 24%. So we've made a lot of good progress, but we have a long way to go. Um, as, as a woman in IT for over 20 years, I'm very used to being the only woman in the room. Um, it 
doesn't phase me anymore. But every now and again, I'll look around and go, gosh, there are 50 men on this conference call or in this room. I'm the only woman. And I, I think it gives you an opportunity to really stand out. And I also think that women bring a very different perspective to cyber. I'm an inherently trusting person in an inherently distrusting profession. But that gives me a unique perspective. And we think about things differently. So, for example, you know, if you talked about attrition at, at a company I worked for, our attrition rate was 24%. A guy might go, eh, that's okay. We can find another person and we'll just train them up and move on. I go, that's a security problem. That's a security problem if you have quarter turnover that's a financial problem. So you're going to resonate with the COO when you talk about that. But if you present that as a security issue and therefore you should develop empathy, you should want to retain people. And what are we going to do to put in strategies to make our people want to stay here? Um, I think those are some things that, you know, for example, women can bring to the table. So not that men are not empathetic. I'm not trying to imply that, but we just bring a different perspective to, to security problems. So please, ladies, keep coming. It's a, it's a fascinating and lucrative career. How can the, the cybersecurity field, you know, draw more more women and just generally more diversity into the into the field. I mean, what what type of things should should be should we be doing? Not to um, yeah, not to keep beating the mentoring drum, but women need women supporters and male supporters. Um, and I, for example, I worked with a great guy who said, "I want to be part of your journey. I want to be part of your success story." Um, so I think it's very important for both women and men to mentor and and. Um, encourage women in the profession. I'm a big fan of STEM and getting, uh, getting women more engaged in it. So yeah, that's, uh, I know there's several organizations, uh, women in cybersecurity is, is one of the ones that come to mind. Uh, that's yep. a good, a good place for it's witty is, yep. is great. Women in technology. Exactly. Yep. I think those are, are great organizations to, you know, that, that people should be involved in and support just for that alone. Uh, you know, it, it, it goes back to kind of what I was saying, is building that community um, and finding organizations that you can find your community and help you to move through it to, to break in. Because uh, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, there are right now, I want to say, over half a million jobs in cybersecurity that are vacant in the United States right now. Uh, and it is a national security threat. Uh, so we are... We are hemorrhaging uh, intellectual property, money, you name it. And so we need people to jump on the team here to, you know, to help out. This well, thank you, Melinda. After a short break, we return with Ernie's lifestyle polygraph. How will Melinda handle the intense pressure? Stick with us to find out. You are listening to the No Password Required podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff. Welcome back. Today, we've already learned a lot about Melinda, but now is when we get to the good stuff. Are you ready for the lifestyle polygraph? I'm ready. And as we already discussed, I'm trustworthy. Yes, so let's so go. Here we go. <laughs> it's a series of five questions that are going to probe some of the inner workings of your mind. In the John Hughes movie universe, who is a better problem solver? Ferris Bueller 
or Kevin McAllister from the Home Alone movies? Probably the only time you'll get me to betray Ferris Bueller because I've seen the movie north of a hundred times. But I have to go with Kevin McAllister because his life and his home and his livelihood depended on it. Ferris was just trying to have a good time, right? So, and kudos to him for it. And he was a genius in how he approached it. But Kevin really, really, I mean, there was a lot on the line there, right? You know, an eight-year-old kid trying to hold down the fort while mom and dad are gone. So he really pulled out all the stops to deal with those buffoons. So I got to give it to Kevin on that one. I mean, I would, but I... To go to another level on that, though, but here's Kevin McAllister, right? The excellent problem solver. How many times does this guy get lost? <laughs> I mean, was it two, three years running? Where his he, he, so I think I think from the tactical sense, he's probably a great problem solver. But from a, a strategic sense, I mean, the guy doesn't even know to follow his parents. I take the position that only Home Alone one is canon, and then Home Alone two and Home certainly not Home Alone three. You can make an argument Home Alone two is canon. I think really only Home Alone won, and it was not his fault at that point. Yeah, it wasn't even yeah. his fault that he got sent up to the to the hide bed uh, in the attic. I watched this movie on Friday. I watched it always right after Thanksgiving, and then I'm sad because, you know, I've already watched it now, and I have to wait another year to watch it again. And I was contemplating how frequently can you watch that movie? But I've probably seen maybe not as many, but I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off probably yeah times. That's a perfect movie. They're both perfect movies. Yes. But he, Ferris Bueller thinks that if you run the car backwards, you're going to undo the alarm. <laughs> it's true. That's his one. That's his that one. was not a stroke of genius. Maybe taking yeah. a lark on that. But he did, he did successfully portray uh, Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. I mean, is, does that, I think from a cyber, I mean, if we're talking from a penetration test, <laughs> I mean, here's a, you know, that's a, that's like a whaling attack right there. Right? Yeah, I'm Abe Froman. I'm going to need that table. <laughs> you are the sausage king of Chicago. Okay. <clears throat> no challenge response back then. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Number two. What is more important component of a perfect meal? The location, the food, or the people you share the meal with? going to have to go with the people you share the meal with unless those people suck, in which case <laughs> it's going to be the food or the location, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, that makes I mean, sense. if you're with yeah. great company, right. that's always going to trump anything. Yeah. But <laughs> if you're with bad company, then, wow, when's that pasta dish coming? The, the, look at, or, look, gee, look at the beautiful time, flowers. Is it right? time for the dessert yet? Really? <laughs> it's not? We just get to it? Food eaten outside improves the quality of the food. I think that's generally true, right? Um, and you can have a bad meal. I guess you could have, if you go to the best restaurant with someone who annoys you, the food doesn't taste good. Doesn't right. matter. Yeah. I think that's, I think people, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I like that. The culinary experience is about all three, the ambiance, the food, and the people. I think you're right. I mean, we... I talk it's about like a multi-layered defense, right? You, you, get, you the, have exactly. to have all three. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you can, and, they, and they all, at different times, they move in and out of importance right. as, you, as you adjust to your, your circumstance. Yeah, I, get, I was often asked, like, you know, hey, when's your best cup of coffee? You know, people say, oh, you're expecting, oh, you know, I was, you were, oh, it's a, a latte, you know, whatever, blah, 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 with some sort of fruity thing and maybe an umbrella in it. I don't know why you put an umbrella in coffee. <laughs> but in actuality, the best cup of coffee I ever had was was out in the you know you know being the former marine was out in the field, 
we just we were just coming in, and it was the worst night in the world. I mean, not not because of death and destruction, but just it was cold and miserable, and you were soaked to the bone. You're tired, and they, we had coffee, and it was just plain old, you know, U.S. Marine Corps black coffee in a tin cup, and it was that was oh, that was just the best. Like, like cup Jimmy of, Buffett's cheeseburger. That's right. Oh, right. it was the best cup of coffee. Oh. But yes, so there you go. It's 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 a combination of all all things involved. All right, so here we are. Question number three, better use of alone time. We've got two scenarios, hiking and learning something about the world or kayaking and learning something about yourself. I'm always going to want to learn about the world over myself. <laughs> I'm, fair, I'm fairly self-aware, but I'm also, as, as we discussed, very much a world traveler. And um, so I'm always, I always want to know more about the world. I I once uh, hiked Table Mountain in Cape Town, South Africa oh, in wow. flip-flops. Really? And what I learned from that experience is don't go hiking in flip-flops. <laughs> but <laughs> um, that aside, <laughs> I didn't really think it was going to be that steep. I thought it was more of a leisurely stroll. And next thing I'm hiking it's, it's called up Table a, Mountain. A so. Mountain, though. Well, Fact. But, so it's uh, a table. Yeah, table. Exactly. Right. You know, table. That's true. It sounded flat. It could go either way. It could go either way. <laughs> so always, uh, always going to err on the side of learning something about the world. So say kayaking is the sort of thing that looks fun until you're in the kayak, and then you're like, I have to push to go anywhere. It's a lot more work than I think the average non-kayaker would believe kayaking is. I, 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 I'm going to agree with you on that one, uh, Jack. That's a that's especially uh, when you go when you start out with the wind, and then you turn around and you go against the wind. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm you see you. a lot of these kayakers now who go fishing. They have the fishing poles yeah. built into the kayak, and you know at some point it becomes a boat. At some point. That, you know that's an interesting question, and I think we could. Go I'm not a scientist. For a while. I'm yeah. not a scientist, but at some point, yeah. you, you put yeah. enough stuff on it, it ceases to be a kayak. Yeah, it to be a boat. So. Well, that's, that's why I recommend kayaking down Wikiwashi because then. You float down, and then the bus picks you up. That's the way. <laughs> That's the way to That's go. Exactly. Is there is there a glamping version of kayaking? I don't know what you get. I don't know how that would come together. The glamour kayak. This sounds about right. Yeah. I think going to Wikiwachi. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I haven't been to Wikiwachi. You should go. It's it's pretty cool anyway. It's awesome. Yeah. A plug for Florida State Parks. Uh, <laughs> you know the springs are really clear. The water is always seventy two degrees, and the manatees don't sink your boats. At least not that, not that it's been reported. I think the Tourism Bureau would get after me. All right, number four. If you were to create a viral video to save or revive a brand, save or revive a brand, what product would you choose and what song would you sing to accompany your pitch? Well, Bear in okay. mind that Tab has just been taken off the market. Okay, so I think I would go with, I, I got to think Folgers is struggling in, in the era of, you know, custom coffee. So I would probably do Folgers with a little wake me up before you go-go wham throwback. Nice! And because oh, I, nice. I, don't you feel like during COVID you're like, I'm very nostalgic. COVID has made me crave John Hughes movies, wham, Yacht Rock Radio, yeah. you know, so I would... How is that? That's a very. How has that never happened before? Where, I mean, Wham's in the market. They're willing to sell. I think they're they license their product. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah, they've got. I mean, they they're they're doing I'm the get uh, folders on the line. Yeah, yeah, I think they're doing the, uh, the casino circuit now. 
This needs to happen. Yes, I, I yeah. think that's a great idea. The other thing I would also, you know, you mentioned folders. What happened to the coffee can? I mean, we're, everybody's doing the coffee in the bags now. The coffee can, I mean, that was a staple right? of, of everything. I mean, my dad had, I, you know, my dad would store everything in coffee cans. I don't he think he ever drank coffee, but, you know, we had coffee as cans. As a Girl Scout, you could make brownies yes. in a coffee can. I don't know. What happened to the coffee can? What happened bring to back, the coffee Bring back the coffee Maybe can. that's what we strive to bring back. That's right. We can talk to the, pa the packaging industry occasionally advertises. You'll see, like, you'll see uh, boxes. <laughs> Without it, you couldn't get your e-commerce going, the packaging industry. So they have, you know, they have, we should write a letter to the, to the packaging lobbying groups and see if they can make this happen. Yeah, we get any takers? I have coffee cans probably that are 15 years old that are still holding nails. Yes, rocks, yes. That's a, well, and, 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 you know, what's more secure to store your life savings in than a coffee can in the cabinet? I mean, that's, <laughs> for, for generations of Americans, that was the bank. Pablo will never know the struggle. The struggle was real, man. I thought it was an empty Lucky Charms box. Maybe that was maybe that was the next generation yeah. after it. Well, that's all, and that's a topic for another day. Is you know what's with the changing of the Lucky Charms? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I mean, I know they're magically delicious and such, but sticking to a music theme, your positive feelings toward yacht rock are are well documented, based on your passion for the genre. Who? is the greatest yacht rock band of all time? Again, a very, very difficult question. I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with Air Supply on this. I mean, they're just, just nail the cheesy ballad. I, I think the only way you can feel good about Air Supply is if you've just gone through a breakup, in which case you're probably going to want to poke your eye out with a spoon. So don't listen to Air Supply if you've just gone through a breakup, but... Now, I was already told that I was not allowed to answer Michael McDonald because we're talking about a band versus a, an artist, but Michael McDonald well, is clearly of, the king. You know, it I, was part of the Doobie Brothers, yeah, of course, yeah, exactly. but I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, but I thought he, he's got to have done some solo work, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course yeah, he did. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we could say the Doobies since he was part of that, yeah. but that's a toss-up. It's all good. That's why I listen to it every morning when I get ready. Yeah. Do my cybersecurity job. <laughs> Just clean. Puts me in a calm state yeah. of mind. Well-produced music, solid musicians, clean sounds. I think, does Hall & Oates, do they count as Yacht Rock? They got oh, yeah. They're they right got to be in there. Yeah. There's a show. You're a bitch girl. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, come on. But it's, it's a, um, there's a show only accessible now, I think, via YouTube and, and Daryl Hall's website. <laughs> called live from Daryl's house, and uh, it went on for it was a, it was a webcast in like 2009 2010. Then it was on MTV briefly, and now they occasionally will do special events. But it's basically just it's Daryl Hall playing guitar in a, in a gorgeous sort of really big sound space, highlighting a musician like Kenny Loggins would come oh. right. Like, you know, How have I not seen oh, this? Tell me yes, more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is tremendous and if anyone who's listening to this has the power to get this going again i think the last episode was like in 2017 or so but live from daryl's house live from tremendous Darryl's and you house. get an appreciation for just how good these musicians are i'm, I'm gonna check that out daryl hall is very serious about his sound i saw him throw a full-on 
on stage tantrum at Tropicana when he was performing <laughs> after a game because of the acoustics. They're just terrible there. It's that kind of, but that's the kind of professionalism we want from our artists. You know? Yeah, you know, purists. Yeah, Picasso's not going to paint on a wall, right? He's not a Banksy, right? Give me a. I want the best canvas there is. But live from Dallas House, absolutely worth it. I, you know, I got to tell you, this is this is just remarkable. I mean, we we, we covered a lot of ground. And I think I have to, you know, uh, what about, uh, you know, Toto? Did they fit into that, into that market? I mean, we're talking about well, yachts. How did I not come up with Toto? I, I mean, who, sorry, who, our supply. Nope. Really? It's Toto. Yeah, it's Toto. they got to bless some rains, right? Oh, right? Man, I'm disappointed in myself now. Honestly, Toto is my favorite. Well, you can you can throw them back in the uh, you know in the mix. The, you put them on the you put them on heavy rotation uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, I um, mean Africa's. I will the bless country. the rains in Africa. That's right. As I stopped an old man along the way. That's a song you can put on for any audience, pretty much any time, and it does exactly what you want it to do. I mean, there's no one who's like turn this off. No, no everyone will. You'll get through a crowd, right? There's a handful of songs that are just like that. Absolutely, and they're probably, you know, you would be. I think I think Toto is probably about twenty-four songs deeper than you think they are. Oh right? yeah, you probably name yes. a couple of songs. Yeah. But if you start playing, it's like the Doobie Brothers. Like you know, it's like half out. Then you start playing more. You think that's them, yeah. and you kind of get surprised about how deep they are. We've got to do some work on that. Think, yeah, just to get the word out about people. But Weezer did a fair amount for what they could do by covering Africa. Um, and I think there's more that can be done from the general yacht rock. You know, it's still happening now. There's, yeah. there's more we can do to get the word out about how good it is. Well, Melinda, thank you very much for joining us. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to talk about or highlight? I think we've covered a lot of ground here today. So, um, you know, yep, I think, we're, I think we've covered it all. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Coming up next is Positively Cyber with Pablo Torres. And Pablo Torres is going to share his take on John Wick and his potential as a hyper-aggressive penetration tester. Will this renegade who is trying to leave his checkered past behind be able to work within the law and be part of a team? Let's find out. There's a place for everyone in the world of cybersecurity, and Pablo Torres plans to prove it. Welcome to Positively Cyber. All right, welcome back. Uh, Pablo, before you jump into Positively Cyber, I heard you did some mentoring recently. Can you tell me a little bit about that, sir? It was a fascinating experience. It was an opportunity to give back to the community, to give back to a junk, uh, younger generation. And I think that's been the theme throughout this podcast. Um, we've been really geared towards, with this initiative with Cyber Florida, of providing an opportunity, an avenue for children to go ahead and assimilate into technology, to assimilate into cybersecurity. And that experience alone, it was, it was amazing because how often does a cybersecurity professional in this field get a chance to speak to an eight-year-old and bring down highly complicated technical talk into layman's terms. So simple. Um, I think bridging that gap and making it in a way that is easily digestible by an eight-year-old is going to be a great approach to bringing more people into our camp. No, you're right. That's one of the, the you know, we look at it from you know, two aspects. There's first, there's we want, pe- we want uh, kids to get excited about the field. And secondly, uh, it's just... We want the kids who grow up today to to have cyber just integrated completely into their lives. Understand how they're gonna. They need to know how they're gonna grow up in a world where cyberspace 
is a place. It is a thing. It, it's they have to understand that. Um, you know, just my personal soapbox is it's that. You know, when you when I was a kid going through school, you learned about uh, you learned about the water cycle. You learned about you know how how the you know how the world works. Um, but nowadays, we're not teaching kids how how cyberspace works, how the internet works. That's not part of the ingrained curriculum. So I think it's important, you know, and, and good for you for going out and doing that thing because you have to, you know, the sooner we can engage uh, kids, the better, the more they can understand, um, you know, how they can you know, take care of themselves because at the end of the day, uh, you know, don't let the gray hairs fool you. I'm really old um, and I'm going to be in the home and somebody's going to have to look after me. And so it's, you know, it's that eight-year-old kid one day is going to uh, be taking care of me. Very spot on, Ernie, and um, I think it's especially important now, given the circumstances that we're living in as a society, to instill some small glimmer of hope within a generation that's growing up within a pandemic. Um, so what can we provide them? Hope, an opportunity, someone to lend an ear, and uh, I feel like that's going to go miles. And with that said, that is truly positive. And so that segues nicely into Positively Cyber with Pablo Torres. Pablo Torres, go ahead, sir. Welcome to Positively Cyber. I'm your host, Pablo Torres. On every episode, we are going to venture into the realm of our lion-hearted Hollywood guardians whom triumph over villainy and foes. We are going to decide if they possess the grit and tenacity to contribute as an exceptional cybersecurity professional. If our hunch is right, we will also identify which position would best complement their abilities. Full disclosure, I believe that there is a place for everyone in the cyber field, and this episode's subject may be headed straight to the top of the organization. Without further ado, today we are going to be exploring Keanu Reeves' character John Wick, also known as Baby Yaga, aka the Boogeyman. Mr. Wick is no angel. In the movie, they highlight him to have a reputation as a famed assassin of near-mythical repute. It is important that I emphasize that he is not perfect, nor will anyone ever will be, as long as we have the notion of humanistic psychology. His past may be a tad bit sketchy. However, it's not too much of a concern for me. I believe it, I believe it is never too late to put on a white hat for the overall enhancement of our society and the online mediums that we use to transcend borders. This guy, let me tell you about this guy. This guy is a persistent problem solver that has demonstrated time and time again an uncanny ability to adapt. <laughs> to say that John Wick is on the introverted side would be like saying he kinda liked this puppy. <laughs> Seriously, he only said 511 words total in chapter one. Not surprisingly, the boogeyman is someone that greatly values his privacy. He definitely has a serious nature, suggesting he is high in conscientiousness and particularly highly disciplined. He is also likely to be high in orderliness perhaps leading to be somewhat obsessive-compulsive. I say this because of his affinity for order and symmetry. This obsessive-compulsiveness and seeking out of perfection will reflect in his training. This is why he's so effective as an assassin, and more importantly, why he is such a great candidate to be an effective cybersecurity professional. With this being said, his intentions originate from a righteous place, one of protecting the weak and doing right against those who intend to do bad. We cannot forego the reality of John Wick's nature, they do call him the boogeyman for Pete's sake. He certainly has a shadow side or a dark side. He has a monster within him. However, due to his high sense and morality, the monster is controlled. John Wick is also a non-conformist, not a herd member. 
He does not want what most people do. He is not motivated by the need for status or impulsive pleasures like the majority. His strong, introverted, private side causes him to seek and appreciate the simple things in life. He tends to lead more with his head rather than his heart. This makes him a more no-nonsense, straight-talking type of person. It's these strengths that allow him to work well with others and build strong relationships with those who have earned his trust. It also makes him a more honest person. He will speak the truth rather than trying to spare someone's feelings. This doesn't mean he is without compassion. It just means a priority for the truth or facts over feelings. John Wick would definitely be a sensation type or sensor, according to Myers-Briggs type indicator. His survival is seen to be very dependent on being observant, paying attention to details and reality, which leads me to believe that he would be a perfectly suited candidate for the role of penetration testing. Our hero of the day may not be a perfect fit for some of the more volume-driven technical jobs within the industry. However, while we are at it, let's be frank. Cybersecurity at its core is an ever-evolving battlefield. His quick, decisive action and improvisation skills favor him. In high-pressure and volatile scenarios such as identifying a publicly exposed server that presents a vulnerability vector for attack from a nefarious rogue actor, John Wick is a good man with a solid set of priorities. He is loyal to his morals and will risk everything to defend what is right. Because of his tenacity and never quit attitude, I am totally comfortable placing the boogeyman near the very top of my fictitious organization. Mr. Wick, welcome aboard. You are my senior director of information security within the security operations and red team penetration testing team, sir. And we are looking forward to following your leadership as you are a man of few words. Therefore, when you speak, we will listen. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Pablo Torre. You know, I think in the John Wick universe, the most fascinating thing is the hotel concept, right? The place where he could show up, you could have a token, essentially, or you could... I don't remember if the token was what got him in. I think it would, they knew who he was, and he could stay there and be safe, right? I think that was how it worked. Sort of like a... But while you were there, you couldn't do any harm, like a zero-trust environment or something like that, maybe, where... This is the area where there's going to be no fighting. I mean, that's a, um, you know, I, I like that as a cybersecurity concept, I think, the hotel. Some, some, you know, this is an environment where we kind of know, but the harm that folks can do is limited. And when harm breaches it, it's like a really big deal. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, it's that self-policing mechanism in there. You know, everybody, I think, so you have the technical controls in place, but also you also have the, uh, the, the agreement of the users. That that agreed that that agreed to participate in that framework. That you know that they, that they know that okay yes while I'm in here I will be safe, um, and I will not attack the, because on the other side of it no one's going to attack me. It becomes that safe space because they have the technical controls. You have your token to get in, but you also have the policy controls in place you know, that you have to abide by to operate in said safe safe space. And there's the tickets too, right? Like when they when they call the hit. You know, you have to, they write the ticket or whatever it is. You have to accept it. So it is sort of like, a, you know, at least like a red teaming, right? You have to, you have an assignment, you have parameters. Can't go beyond it. There's a lot of good cyber stuff. I don't think he uses a computer in the movie. I don't remember if he does in one or two. I don't think he does. It's like this sort of analog world. There might be some cell phone usage. Is it maybe? Yeah, no, definitely There's cell phone usage. Uh, as far as computers, I mean, I would say he's using a supercomputer and that's his mind. Um, that's a very powerful machine. It's a, it's almost like a quantum computer. You're not processing 
binary and ones and zeros, he's processing both, which would be the in-between, the gray. Um, very good comparison, guys. <laughs> um, I, I think you guys nailed it on the head. And um, it, it's almost like within that hotel, we have a structure, an infrastructure that has been built on top of rules, policies, and procedures. And then we have run books and sessions that we can tabletop to go ahead and develop a strategy to be more effective as a, let's say, an amicable assassin within a hotel that is meant for something that's not nice. <laughs> I, you know, I would say what my one, I have one hesitation on him, though, is that he's not solely motivated by money. And that makes it a little challenging, right? Because I always wonder if something else that he believes in more could, could, could uh, compromise him. So I'd be a little worried about that. So we want to monitor him and have his colleagues keep an eye on his network activity a little bit. I think, I think his, his pros outweigh his cons, but, but you got to worry about it. It's not stock options that are going to keep him in his seat. He's got to believe in the mission. Yeah, you gotta, you got to appeal to – he's the guy you have to appeal to the, uh, the ideological motivation behind it. Or you could do a little uh, love of family approach, you know, <laughs> if we count the dog as. Exactly, exactly. Um, as you would say, the mission, the mission always comes first. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the program. Thank you for joining us. First and foremost, I have to thank my co-hosts, Jack Clabby and Pablo Torres. And also, thank you to our guest, Melinda Lemke. And listen, I got to say, um, you know, you've elevated the level of this podcast just by highlighting that Toto should be, you know, gets greater recognition. And uh, that said, we are going to try to bless some rains down in Africa take that time to do the things we never had. <laughs> that said, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to No Password Required Podcast and send your questions or comments to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. I'm Ernie Ferreso, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required Podcast. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. A special thanks goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields and Cognizant. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod.